welcome to Demond Does, and we're having a COVID conversation about mental health with Justin Campbell. He is an author, speaker, and counselor. He's been featured on TV and radio for his work as a high school counselor, and he's the author of the book, The New Complete You, Life Between the Lines. Please help me welcome Justin Campbell. I tell you what, man, I feel like I was an NBA All-Star or something coming out. <laughs> yes! I like it, man. I like it. That's one of the highest compliments I can get doing that. That's cool. Thank you. <laughs> hey, you're very welcome. Uh, how you doing today? Hey, man, doing good. You know, it's a lot going on in our world and our society, so I, I think the topic we're going to be discussing today is crucial and valuable. Thank you very much for your time, and I appreciate you. Are you ready to answer a couple questions for me, or with me, or together <laughs> I, I am i am and i want to say hey man every little bit helps uh, i appreciate you for what you're doing and uh, i appreciate you thank you very much all righty question number one how do you describe your therapy method like how do you choose what tools in your toolbox to use i think first and foremost i'm gonna come at that a little different in the sense that i think it becomes easier as you know who and what you want to work with so for me, I can, but I'm not looking to work with elementary students nor seniors. For me, I think it's knowing your clientele. Um, and so for me, it's going to be, you know, that middle school to, to young adults and maybe some older adults, but definitely not the seniors or elementary. And then I'm also looking to work with those who kind of looking at the, I guess what you would call the symptoms or the conditions. You know, I'm looking to work with those who are depressed, personality disorders, trauma, whether that's in relationships or just depth. Uh, you know, maybe in your family or something else, those with low self-esteem and dealing with transition and changes in life. So I find it sometimes it's easier. I like to think of it like this. You know, when you go to the doctor's office, they can talk to you sometimes in ways that you'd be like, what'd you just say? And so I think sometimes it's easier to come at it like that when you're talking to people and individuals because they can understand that. They can grasp that rather than coming at them with, you know, modalities and things of that nature. So I kind of look at it like that. Uh, you know, another example I, I use, I kind of use, I actually I stole this from somebody, so let me put that out there, is that I think about it in lines of a tour bus. So if you think about this, the best way to help someone understand the method is for them to think of themselves as the tour bus driver, and I'm just the guy with the microphone. So they know everything, and as they talk and I listen, I then take different modalities to help guide them through their condition. That's kind of how I come at it. That is a really cool metaphor. I like that a lot. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And one of the biggest methods is person-centered. And I would almost say that every therapist probably uses that really, that person-centered method, which basically just says the client is the one who leads. I think the disservice when I think therapists try to come in directing it, when, as I said, it's really the client who is really directing and, and we're there to just kind of guide with the professionalism that we have to then help them kind of comprehend everything. That has been a common theme throughout the interviews that I've done. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, I, I'm looking to do individual therapy, practicing individual therapy. But one of my passions is, as you kind of mentioned in the forefront of, of me doing, you know, being a high school guidance counselor and things of that nature is that I do want to run some groups. I haven't quite pinned that down yet, but 
possibly groups that have to do with conflict resolution. That's something I see a lot. And that's, that's not just with teenagers. That can be with adults. And then I also kind of want to work on, as I've even been working with adult clients, you know, one thing, a theme I've seen a lot is really that self-esteem, identity, what's my value, what's my worth. And then also just working maybe a group on anxiety. Those are some things I want to do because I think you can get a lot of help when you're sitting there with other people as well. A, knowing that you're not the only one with the problem, but then hearing how other people are doing uh, which can then help give you some help in that situation. You work a lot with teenagers. Being a teenager, that was just a landmine of emotion and just craziness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming it hasn't gotten any better. Why did you choose that group? So I got my breakthrough after finally out I was a restaurant manager, left that. Well, while I was in that, I went back to school, got my master's in counseling, wanted to do middle and high school. That's where I did my practicum and internship, but I actually got my first job in element, elementary. Funny thing about that is great kids, you know, cute, but that is definitely not for me. I say that to say that second year, I finally applied and got my position at New Albany High School. I'll be resigning this year, but I, I've been there for six years. Why I chose it is because you can be real with them. That middle school is kind of where you're finding yourself. And then in high school, if you've had trouble finding yourself in middle school, that high school is where you will cling to some things that maybe you didn't want to because you haven't truly found who you are. I mean, sometimes you're still finding out who you are and, and still things can happen. And so I really love high school because, you know, you can be real with them. You can be that little seed that plants something that really helps them to blossom as they go into their future. And so, you know, I realized that I had a moment in time there to be so impactful to teenagers uh, as they get ready to actually go out on their own, whether it be military, college, trade, you know, technical college, whatever it was, I had that. Uh, opportunity to be such a blessing to so many students uh, to help them find out who they are uh, and not have to be this fake person that the world says you have to be. And just be your own person. Just be who That's you it. are. Message. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. What is the most common misconception people have about mental health? One of the problems is I think it's Hollywood, right? So when, when you, I think they're doing better though. Uh, of correcting what a therapist looks like and does. Because I think when you used to watch those movies, really, like, what do you have? You have the picture of the person laying on the couch. Right. And this person basically almost telling you what to do. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that, you know, it's a person laying or sitting there and, and someone is solving your problem. I also want to say here, though, I think another misconception, because one of the things that I'm going to focus on is Christian counseling. Now, that won't be the only clients I take, but you know, that there's not a big a pool of people that are in Christian counseling. So that's going to be one of my modalities. Plan on also using, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, again, spiritual psychotherapy, motivational interviewing, some mindfulness. And so those are some of the, you know, the styles I'll use. But I think another misconception is Christians will tell people, you don't need a therapist, just go pray. I think the therapist is there right, to help and guide you. So I'll go back to that example I just used with the bus and the, and the tour guide, is that most people kind of know what to do, but because people are always running, their schedules are so busy, and people are always, and sometimes the situations are always in your face, that they never have time to actually stop and think about how that has affected them and led them to their behaviors or actions today. So in therapy, you have no distractions. 
right? It, it's uninterrupted time, and you have the help of a professional. And so with that, I think people are able to, you know, they're able to be real. Uh, they're able to take off that mask that they put on for the world day in and day out. And they're able to think about solutions, and they are able to process. We must understand prayer takes action. So, you know, God has given people gifts, and when those people operate in those gifts and they're calling, then healing can happen um, for that person. And so I think all through the Bible, you know, we see where God calls people and used those people to bless others. And I think there's no difference here. So I think that's the two misconceptions that I see, whether it just be in regular therapy or in Christian therapy. But just understanding that we're not there to order you, control you, but we're there to help you really understand the thought behind what has gotten you to the behavior now. And I think too many times what I really see is adults who say, man, I'm old enough now, I can handle that. And what they really don't realize is a lot of the stuff that we have dealt with or gone through, whether it was environmental or generational, is that it's embedded. It's like down in your subconscious. And the problem is when you have something that's in your subconscious, you do it and you don't even realize it. And the key is we want to get things to the conscious so then we can bring the change. That's what I see a lot of times when I work with teenagers is you start helping the, the kids, uh, but the parents feel like they really have it under control, but they don't. And they don't realize that's some of the family dynamics that is messed up because the, you know, the parents don't ever deal with uh, some of the traumas and things that happen to them. Ah, so that passes on down to the kids in whatever way they have handled it thus far. Does that make sense? Is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, and it, it doesn't only pass down to them. Even though the child may start to realize things and their behavior change, it still becomes a struggle and it's challenging because the parent or the guardian's behavior never changes. So even though the child kind of gets the right psychology or the right thinking behind it and their behavior starts to change, well, now it's almost like a sadness. Like So their life is better now, but it's almost a sadness because they realize their parent or guardian needs the same thing but won't get the help. And so there's still that struggle or that emptiness, uh, even though they're better and able to now handle it and they don't do negative things, but there's still that, I wish my parents could do what I just did so that we could really have the relationship I desire. How would you help them start down that path of uh, helping their parent help themselves? Ooh, man, that's tough right there. Let me go ahead and say up front, when you work with teenagers, you basically have to almost work with parents as well. Uh-huh. But let me say, I'm also not a family therapist. That's not my goal is to be a family therapist. Some people want to work with literally the dynamics of the family. I think the key there is hopefully what you hope happens is as the parent sees the change in the child, and then again, you're working with the parent, that that parent will not just take the little bits that you give them, but that they will actually get a therapist. And so you have to be careful, man, because some parents will think that you're trying to change them, control them. And so you really have to be respectful. You have to watch how you word things mm. um, because parents are quick to go on the defensive. And the thing that you do need is you do need the parents' help with the therapy. What I mean by that is if I'm, if I'm teaching the child something 
I have to bring the parent in at some point so that they understand how to use what I taught them because they're part of the dynamic at home. There is a time where I get to bond with the parent a little bit, but there's no easy way to get a parent to literally get into treatment themselves. You try to involve them by teaching them some of the strategies you're teaching the child, and hopefully they implement it. And as they see the change in the child, and as I have those talks with the parent, you know, hopefully there's enough there, uh, even if they don't get help themselves, though, for them to maybe adapt a few things so that it makes a better relationship and a better time in the house. Okay, I'm a parent of two precocious little ones. <laughs> As a parent, how can we help our children deal with their feelings around COVID-19? And also, how do we explain it to them? I'm going to focus on your question, but I, I want to add here too, whether it's the COVID or whether it's what's going on in our world right now with social injustice, you have to be careful that you always explain to your child whatever you explain at an age-appropriate response. So first off, I would say as parents, we have to educate. And we can't be afraid to educate. Sometimes we think if we tell kids something, that's going to cause them to be anxious or to go do something. And that's wrong. And that's no different than even if we're having a talk with our kids, you know, as you get to be teenagers and you talk to them about some of those touchy subjects, the key is a lot of times our kids do things because they don't know. They're curious. And we don't make them go do something because we let them know about something. And so it's vital that parents are always educating their kids. With COVID, not only are we educating them about the COVID, but we're educating them about pandemics in general. Uh, I think now when it comes to feelings, not only about COVID, but about anything, right? As parents, what we cannot do is we cannot discount or discredit their feelings. So here's what I see. Too many times I hear people say, you're too young. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just going through a phase, teenage phase. Stop acting like a kid or a child, et cetera, and et cetera. So if your child comes to you first, you got to validate that you hear them. It's no different than if you're in a relationship. Right? You don't want to go to somebody if they're not really listening to you or they're watching TV while you're talking. You've got to validate that you hear them and that you hear the emotion and feeling they are sharing. Not you try to make it something else, but that you really validate that feeling and emotion. If you don't do this, the problem is you could ruin future talk. I think that's vital because our kids, especially in this day and age of social media, they will go to other things to get the attention or to get the answers. And we want them coming to us. So we, we've got to be okay having the tough conversations and validating those emotions and feelings. Secondly, we got to teach them again age-appropriate information. Now, why that's vital is because what we don't want to do is take something positive and make it negative. And what I mean by that is I think you can teach a child at a young age too much that you may traumatize them and not even know it whether it's showing pictures or videos or talking to them about things, I think it has to be age appropriate. You know, they're sitting there with you and sometimes they're not going to ask you the question about what you just said. We talk about in business, right? Feedback, conversation. You want to get feedback to make sure a, the person understands you. But when we're talking about young kids, sometimes even when we try to get that feedback, it doesn't always come out how we think it could. So you definitely want to make sure you're careful to teach age-appropriate stuff so that we don't 
cause further confusion or trauma traumatization. And then lastly, always show empathy as you're speaking with your child. So let me make sure, you know, again, that's a therapy term, but I think it's not only good that therapists have that, but parents have that. Empathy is recognizing and relating to another person's emotions and thoughts to the point to where you can put yourself in another person's situation. And this goes beyond sympathy of just acknowledging and caring about another person's feelings. And so we see that a lot, right? When we're talking to people, we'll acknowledge it. Yeah, okay, cool. But this goes beyond that. Like, I can literally put myself in your shoes, as we would say, and I can feel that, right? Like, I feel you. And so as parents or therapists, we must make our child or client know they are being understood and we are not half listening or making light of their feelings. Wow, that was a lot. I'm going to have to take some notes next time I listen to this. <laughs> that was a lot. I, mean, I think that's vital, man. So many times we really do not validate our kids' feelings. And, and I'm telling you, man, in this day and age, you know, as therapists, we definitely have to have that tool. But as parents, man, there's just so many times our kids go to another friend or go to the lunch table or go to other stuff when they could come to us, but they don't come back to us because we shoot them away or we talk down to them. And so, man, it's vital that we really do try to implement these things, not only for COVID, but for other conversations as well. As we start to get back into what was normal life and being out in public more, what are your suggestions on integrating ourselves back into social settings with our family and friends? I think I go back to a little bit of what I just said in the sense of, you know, I'm very an optimistic person. So I try to take every opportunity and use it as a learning experience. And so I think the first thing parents must not do is overreact. As parents, we must remember that our children take their cues from us. So if we are making a big deal about people not following the rules, you know, not having masks, they're touching each other, whatever, we throw a fit, well, what do you think that's going to do to our kids? Of course, it's going to give them anxiety. It's going to make them anxious. It's going to cause them to panic. So in essence, what I'm saying is we must be not good. We must be great role models. So what I would say is as parents, we must talk about how we can be safe even when others are not. You know, this is even a good time to discuss consequences of not following rules. Maybe use an age-appropriate example that child could understand as it relates to COVID. You know, so maybe for a younger child, you kind of find an example that goes to school and how you not following that direction could affect others. And so I think, you know, again, you got to take time to, A, first make sure you're calm about it so that as you're calm, they see how you handle a challenging situation. So then they'll be calm in handling it. And then lastly, I think with that question, I think you also take that time to explain the things that can be done uh, even when others are not following guidelines. So my kids' names are Mariah and Jada. Like, Mariah, look, you can wear a mask. You can wash your hands. You can gather outside on the porch. You don't have to sit in the house. You can gather on the porch. They say it's safer because it's, it's air. It's circulating. You know, when you're in the house, it's the same used air. You know, you can keep your distance. You know, uh, they're saying six feet, but some people are saying it's further than that. But the key is keep your distance. And then it's good to give your child something to say, I think, for those who are trying to maybe engage them, and maybe they're not ready for that. Maybe you're not ready for them to be ready for that. So what I say to that is talk through some scenarios at home. 
you know, go over some ways that maybe they could politely say something to somebody who's maybe trying to shake their hand or give them a hug. And so I think it's what I would just call is being proactive, making sure at home we have those conversations already, making sure that when we're out, we're not almost dogging people out, right? Like, look at her or look at them or they're going to, they know they're going to cause people to die. What do you think that's going to cause in your child's mind when you're talking like that? So it's just being uh, cautious and aware and, again, being that great role model. When trying to be informed and find peace of mind around everything that's happened in the world, COVID-19, social injustices, where do you suggest we go for information? I actually called on a few colleagues, and I think every therapist ought to have another group of colleagues you can call on, you can bounce ideas off of. You know, in this field, it's vital that we have somebody else that we can call on, not only for our emotional support, but as we have that support, it helps us, you know, to not burn out in our industry. And also, you know, if we're in a good emotional state, because we have people to talk to as well, therefore our clients are better. So I did call on a few people with this one and found some great, some great websites. So one is N as in Nancy, C as in Charlie, T as in Terry, S as in Sam, and N as in Nancy. So nctsn.org. And that's the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. Very good resources on there. Um, literally will walk you through some scenarios, even maybe some things to say or do. So very good as far as to information for your child and, and things as it pertains to COVID. There was another website, uh, Harvard Global Health Institute. That one uh, also has some good information on there. And so those would be probably two that I found from people who gave me some advice. And then I think other than that, what I would say, you know, especially when you're thinking about, even though I know, as you just said, we're in this second phase. However, I think there are some things to be mindful of because each household is different. So even though we're in a second phase, there are many people who are still mentally in first phase. And so while that's vital is a colleague of mine, she came up with this thing called isolation well-being and what it is is it's a sheet she gives to her clients that basically has a you know a check box and you know they can make copies of it or whatever and it basically says here's some things that you need to make sure you are intentionally doing and I don't know if you've been working from home so that you know you don't fall into the trap of not kind of getting into a routine and doing other things so you know it's simple things like shower you know if you got to take your medication or drink water you know clean something today, get up and do something, tend to something, whatever that may be. Be mindfully present too, and there's some check boxes of things you could do like a sound or a song, you know, and this is kind of getting your mind thinking about stuff, right? A sensory feeling, something you see, you know, a spiritual practice, but that's what you do. And then some other ideas are reach out to a human, you know, outside your home. Even if that's through FaceTime or whatever, reach out to somebody, call them on their phone. Don't just text them. Do one thing to get your heart rate up, whether that's exercise, push-ups, whatever that may be. Do something that you'll be glad you did later. So, you know, there's things like that, you know, that as therapists we kind of create for our clients to just make sure to almost give them an accountability sheet to say, hey, even though we're isolated, uh, there are some things you can do you know, that can help you to not be so cut off from the whole world. I read your book. I really enjoyed it. I'm not religious. Oh, 
I'm not religious at all, but I really, yeah. at, but I really enjoyed it. And um, there's a lot of good uh, universal principles in here, which, yes. which I loved. And, I, and I'm actually glad you said that because I do try to tell people whether you're, you know, you have a faith, whether you don't have a faith, whether, you know, you're a business person, whatever, you know, God led me to write that book in such a way that, you know, as you saw it, the each at each chapter, there is the, just part about my life. And then I purposely put the questions before the faith part, because you don't have to read the faith part. But even if you read the faith part, you'll still find principles that are not just religious, but are other principles as well. So I'm really glad you pointed that out because it's written in such a way that you don't have to have a religious background or anything to still be motivated, touched by it, to see how it can help you uh, put some steps, you know, into your, into your life. And that's the point of the reflection questions is that wherever you're at in your life, whether you're just starting, you're in the middle, you're great. That's why it's called the new complete you, because how can you be more complete? What was club sweetness? <laughs> so, all right. So listen, I, I, I was a marketing major and I'm a little extra. Let me just say that. So I'm always doing something that is silly, unique, different. So I came up with this idea and it was really to the detriment of myself, honestly. But I came up with this idea to do some bubble letters and put it above my dorm room. My roommate was cool with it, and uh, we named it Club Sweetness. <laughs> now, now let me back, let me back up a second. So first, some people would be like, "Well, hold on now, what does sweetness mean?" So then let me just let me let me go ahead and kill some of the other people who thinking. If you remember Walter Payton, Chicago. His name was Sweetness yes. because of he, you know, he was he, with his moves and everything, whatever. Well, my coach Pete Carrero, when I was in like I don't know seventh or eighth grade, he named me Sweetness because of playing football, and so that name kind of carried through high school to the point to where I think even at a birthday, my parents put Sweetness on the cake. So that's kind of how I got the name Sweetness. You know, very humbling name, of course, with who that's attached to. But right. uh, And so then that's what I did. I named my dorm room Club Sweetness. But the bad thing about that was, you know, I played music and stuff and had a subwoofer under my desk. And the problem is I had to start going to the library to study because too many people was coming down, hanging out. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so it actually became the club. They became the spot. Yeah, it was a little, it, was, it kind of backfired. It kind of backfired. Uh, lesson no uh, a lesson was learned yes sir yes sir can you tell uh tell my listener your uh your website and, and any information uh, anything coming up my website is mightllc.com and that's m-i-g-h-t-l-l-c.com i do public speaking and i actually like to call it life speaking because i believe i speak life wherever i go to speak you know i'm, I'm not trying to per se, motivate you as much as uh, I'm trying to get you to move in a direction that can change your life. So I do public speaking. I also am an, I do MC. I just started that. I've actually done some MCing, but I just actually added it to my business this year. So I'm definitely looking to start getting out there doing some MC work. 
Of course, as you said, I got the book, The New Complete Shoe Life Between the Lines. You can get to all of that through my website, but it is on Amazon, iTunes. I just recently got it put on audio. Um, so it is now on audio. Uh, that'll be on my website to where you can get it on audio here uh, shortly. So you have so, no excuses. Go read it. That's it. That's it. Um, and like I said, there's a youth forum that's happening this Friday down at the Big Four Bridge. And so definitely if you guys are you know not doing anything, please come down. I will be selling the book down there. But honestly, it's more than about the book uh, because we are doing it for the uh, you know the youth rally for social injustice. So that's six to eight, six to eight p.m. this Friday at the Big Four Bridge. And uh, this Friday, and Friday is Juneteenth, isn't it? It is, sir. Yeah. So come, come on down to the Big Four Bridge, celebrate Juneteenth, come hang out. And don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and all do all that cool stuff. So it's not for my ego. It is for the algorithm. By giving ratings and reviews, more people get to see the show. And that means more listeners, more company, and this thing grows. And we can have more fun and keep that conversation moving. So if you could do that for me, that'd be amazing. And until next time... See it, hear it, speak it, live.